we welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We Love Arabian Horses has a simple goal, to promote the Arabian breed to those outside of our community, moms, dads, and kids of all ages, and of course, horse lovers from every walk of life. Thank you for listening. This episode of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast is sponsored by Markel. Markel is the insurance with horse sense. If you'd like to learn more, visit MarkelInsurance.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-L Insurance.com. And let them know we sent you. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Paul Costell with the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. And today we're thrilled to have, honored to have Mary Trowbridge with us. Hello, Mary. Paul, how are you? Well, we're doing great, and we really appreciate uh, getting the chance to chat with you. We're going to talk a little bit about your horse career and how you got started, and we're going to talk a little bit about AHDF for everyone to know what our agenda is for today. So, Mary, we start every podcast with the same question, is how did you first find horses and find Arabian horses in particular? That's always a great story. Well, I think horses for me was a little bit, you know, um, like any hereditary disease, uh, I think I was born with it. Um, I found horses just as soon as I could toddle around. Uh, my family had um, a history of some fabulous award-winning free horses throughout my childhood. And um, my sister had the one, um, the blind saddlebred. Um, they were, there were a lot of standouts, but the blind saddlebred was right up there when I was growing, growing up. And my first, um, you know, I think I was, my picture in the lead line class was before on her was before I could walk. Wow. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, we, we never had any money for it. We never had a good spot for it. Horses always lived in the garage. Well, we grew up without a riding ring. So I grew up riding on the gravel roads in uh, Northern New Hampshire, um, all weather, um, all manner of um, dangers out there that I lived through for some unknown reason. And uh, you know, did you start there and where did the Arabian portion become hundred percent Arabians? Actually, it was interesting. I grew up with a gal, um, the family doctors, uh, the local doctors, this was, you're talking about a, about a 1500 horse uh, town on the Northern New Hampshire border, uh, bordering Canada, Quebec, Maine, and Vermont, all within about uh, a 10 mile radius. And the family doctors who were my parents' best friends, um, their daughter loved Arabian horses. And her husband, um, who was my high school teacher, English teacher was actually Paul Shane. And Paul Shane was the creator of Star World. And he worked for Lasma for a long time. And oh, right. I now remember. Time, but yeah. Uh, but he worked for Lasma on projects. And so I grew up with Paul and Gail. And um, so I got into Arabians by reading the Arabian Horse News and the Arabian Horse World that Gail's parents would take and put in their, off their doctor's office in town. And I can still see those magazines there. And, um, you know, when it was time, I had a free Morgan. Um, like I said, we had a long history of free horses. Um, the first horse I got was, his name was Ahab the Arab. 
And I think the reason he was named after Ahab the Arab was that he was on a ship at one point, because I don't think he was ever really, I think he was closer to coming over on a boat than he was to being, having any Arabian blood. Uh, they told us he was old enough to vote when we got him. They didn't tell us that he'd been voted in four elections and the voting age at that time was 21. Um, and so then finally, uh, my dad finally agreed to pay for a, an actual purchased horse. And um, he paid $2,000 for my one purchased horse, which was an Arabian, which, um, you know, the Morgan, the Morgan tried to kill me. And um, yeah, I'm, to this day. So how, old, how old were you when you got this first Arabian? Oh, by that time I was probably 12. Okay. Uh, I, I did all the early stuff on my, on my other guys on Rab and Jody. And so you showed house. then as a junior exhibitor and then when yep. you were did you go to college or would you decide to be a professional immediately how'd that happen well I went away to school for about a uh, year and a half um, simply because I wanted to find out what it was all about um, and I didn't like it what I found out <laughs> was that I was right I wouldn't like that any more than I liked high school and um, you know I ended up um, dropping out um and going to work for Bill Bowl and Leon Rubin at Sir William Farm in Hillsdale. And um, I went down for two weeks in on my April vacation. And when Bill offered me, this was kind of the, the story of Bill's and my relationship. When he offered me a job, I said, in the summer, I said, well, that's great, but I really wasn't planning on leaving. Um, <laughs> so he said, yeah. oh, okay, I'll, I'll hire you being the good guy that he was. And so he did. And I was there working for Mr. Rubin for four years and Mrs. Rubin for four years and then for Bill for five uh, when he started Bridalwood Arabians. So that was pretty much your 20s. That would have been, yeah, I was uh, 19 when I went to work there. And I guess I was uh, 26 or seven when I went on to the next job. Gotcha. And when did you get to the point that you became a trainer like with Mary Trowbridge on her own? Pat and I went into business in uh, right after Canadian Nationals in 1991. Okay. And at own. that time, you were not yet at um, the Nichols Place. Oh, no. We were um, at a boarding barn in Salisbury, Connecticut with our horses. And um, we were, um, there goes Pat. Um, they... Uh, we were boarding by the stall and uh, yeah, we were definitely not at Nichols. We were in Salisbury. We, we went into business right after the Canada and then um, in 91, and then we moved um, to Nichols farm in 1994. Gotcha. So just give us a short version of Mike Nichols and, and Diane. I know that was an important relationship and they had you there at that farm for many years. And I think you're still there. We are. Um, we moved in 94. We met, we leased the farm from Mike. Um, and not, not really, that wasn't the beginning of the relationship. He had said in 93, he sent some horses to us, uh, some of his last Arabian horses that he wanted to disperse um, in his maybe first or second round of getting out of the business. And actually 92. And um, he, I had not met him before. And he called me and I said, well, if that's what you want to do, I, I will certainly help you, but it would 
it'll sure break my heart to disperse the last Nichols Arabians horses. So he, one mare was in foal, uh, was a Barbary daughter, three generations on the tail female side of his breeding. And she was in foal when she came to our farm that we were currently leasing in Winstead. And when she foaled in, she was in foal to Desperado V and she had the most beautiful baby. I'm looking around to see if I have a picture of him in here, but I don't. And his name was Wolf. We might named him Wolf after his the movie he was working on at the time with Michelle Pfeiffer and Jet Nicholson. And um, Mike fell in love with the business again. This baby, you know, he didn't necessarily, I can say this now because I believe he's passed away. He certainly didn't grow up into the most, he was always beautiful, but that particular mare, and actually interesting story about that mare, um, she would produce the most beautiful foals and her babies, they never grew into their promise, but from the time they were born until the time just after they left the mare, they were worth mega bucks because they were just exotic. And actually the one foal that she had, that that mare had, Rio Rita, who was by Barbary out of an Eros daughter, went on, we bred her to a major fire, which was also one of my side horses that we now own. Um, and that foal, Riverdance NA, is the dam of life in the fast lane and like four other national champions. So that's the wolf story. And a lot, the other part of the story of Rio Rita is that she kept Mike Nichols in the breeding business um, for another uh, 10 plus years. Uh, we moved at when that farm was selling that we were at. He said, oh, you must come to my place. And I said, well, we can't afford your place. And he said, well, you must come anyway. So we said, OK. And we did the deal afterwards. And it was, was <laughs> always the deal with Mike. He said, oh, we'll make it work. And then it did in his favor. Uh, <laughs> I was right. Couldn't really afford it. But, you know, we ran our business in conjunction with managing his breeding program. That's and uh, it was a wonderful relationship for 10 years until he finally dispersed um, in 02. And we purchased the farm in 04. It took us another, uh, well, we, we still had a few of the, the retirees. Gotcha. And so, so um, just one last thing on horses. This has all been fantastic. And I love the history. I could talk to you for two hours. Um, tell us just about a particular horse or two that really lit you up or is an important part of your life and career as a horse person. Well, there's sure been a bunch. Um, probably my, you know, certainly red tape put me on the map um, and uh, was a catalyst for a lot of around for a lot of change in my, in Pat's in my life. Um, he was my first national champion in the open park. And, um, it was a whale of a story that's yes. something for another day. Um, and the other horse that was really near, near and dear to my heart was Emperor Hadrian, um, among yeah. other many, many others. And Hadrian was one of the first, um, half Arabian foals that Mike actually bred. And we had purchased a beautiful Supreme Sultan daughter through Mike Wheelahan's um, assistance that at 19 couldn't carry foals, but was one of the first mares to do half Arab embryo transplants in the country. And Emperor Hadrian was one of those foals. He was by El Ghazi. 
and he won the um, three-year-old fraternity, half Arab fraternity. He was reserve in the amateur English the next year. He was uh, he won the junior horse half Arab English the following year, and went on to multiple more national champion wins in the amateur divi- English division as well as the open winning the open English half Arab and. So oh, I remember him well. Who was the owner of him? Well, he had three, but he never left us. Mike bred him, and then we sold him to a wonderful lady named Oma Hodges, who was a client at the time. And Oma is the one that showed him to his reserve national champion as a, in the amateur as a four-year-old, which was amazing because she was in her 60s. She was a career horse rider and is just still around and a wonderful lady. And then Susie and G.T. Schramm of Matilda Bay Farm bought him and owned him at the time of his national championship. Wow. And owned him to the time of his death. But he was, he was by far and away the king in my heart. And uh, Well, I, re- I remember red tape well and, and this one and so many others. So thank you for sharing. I know it's hard to pick just one or two, um, which is kind of a, it's a congratulations there. That means there was a stellar show career. Well, it was fun. And he was one that we bred here at the farm. And, you know, when we, when we, uh, and, and he was part of a program that we brought to Mike, like I say, he, Mike was, and he really fit Mike's um, vision of the greatest horses because he was, you know, he wasn't anxious to breed half Arabs uh, himself. His passion was purebreds. And I told him, you know, look, if we do it right, their money in the bank, breeding purebreds is a crapshoot. Um, you know, you, you can do your best diligence and, you know, but the pure, the half Arabs give you the, the half Arabs give you a little more ability to breed a, a disciplined horse. And I said, I can promise you that your disciplined horses will be marketable. And, um, and that was back, you know, so when we were convincing him of this, it was probably 1996, 95. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that proved true. Uh, we had several million dollar producer mares plus producing mares for Mike and Northern Empress was absolutely at the top of the list of those. And um, it was just fun. It was, you know, that's, that's as close as I'll ever get to breeding a great one, you know, breeding a na- multinational champion probably is using somebody else's money. Yeah. <laughs> it's when it's my own horse, I get it wrong every time. <laughs> Well, hey, I'm sure there's a lot of people that know how that goes, but switching topics a little bit, we want to talk about AHDF and I want to know just a short version of how it got started and what your brainchild was and kind of, it's a huge, huge component of the Arabian horse industry. And I think it um, needs a lot more kudos and thank yous to you and everyone else who's made that happen. It's, It's just phenomenal. So tell us more about it. Well, um, the fun started in 2004. We were in Scottsdale at the horse show and we heard about a young horse trainer that had developed, not been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, who was actually an assistant trainer at the time. And this guy had a young daughter and a wife and um, he was going to have to leave his job and go home to his family. And that guy was Ron Koppel. And at that time, I didn't know Ron from Adam and he certainly didn't know me. He had just come in from some other breeds. And, but, you know, I, I'm not, when there's something around to do, I, I'm not real good at sitting around and not doing it. Um, right. You know, and that annoys people when it's like, I'm in their kitchen and 
you know, cleaning up or, you know, <laughs> something like that. I, I, I have that effect on people. But um, anyways, I just kind of wandered around and talked to some of our friends and um, said, you know, let's do, and we all decided let's do an auction. And Mike Villasenor was managing the times at the time. And I walked by and said, hey, Mike, we're doing this. He said, we'll set it up here. And we did an auction and raised some money. And I came over and opened the bank account. I didn't know what we were doing. Um, you know, uh, I'd never run a nonprofit, let alone anything to do with it. And I roped in four of my friends. Um, uh, G.T. Shram was one of them. He's an Episcopalian minister. And he, and he helped me. Um, one of my family's old friends was um, just building a nonprofit for a passion of his and he loaned us the blueprint gt helped me get the um, 501c application done dale harville incorporated it when i made a phone call dale incorporated it in texas and sent me the documents and um people just started sending money um, G, um i quickly roped in uh two other three other friends um stan Morey, mary jane brown and Van Jacobson, and amazingly, they're still friends. I, they're, I think all of those guys are annoyed with me, you know, monthly, but not really because they're as gratified as I am to be able to do something to help. And yeah. then uh, Bob Nash joined us, um, oh, about six or eight years ago because Becky needed something for him to do. <laughs> Bob brought his um, economic acumen and um, uh, just. Uh, a real helpful presence and, and we love him and um, we're all just so grateful that you know we're again able to pick up and do something and that's strictly and solely because of the donors that continue you know it's just the whole Arabian horse community wants to do something when the chips are down and the way they have endorsed and supported this fund you know and the other reason I I um, wanted to do this and, and why I'm so passionate about this fund is that I'm so passionate about this community of people. Um, I grew up in hunter jumper country and, you know, my folks took me over into saddle horse, some saddle horse people, and they're just not like Arab people. Mm -hmm. Um, the Morgan crowd comes pretty close, I think, but, um, you know, there's nobody, you know, this is just such a diverse and versatile breed and it it attracts like-minded people just like dogs have owners that look like them we have um people that think and act like their horses and they're these horses are incredibly intelligent very versatile very athletic got a lot of endurance they tend to make things just a little bit harder than they need to be but they're passionate and loving and intuitive. And that's just the way these, this community is. And these people, uh, they, they blow me away, the things that the Arabian community does. I can get at different times, I have had checks for $5 and $5,000 in my mailbox at the same time. And it just, the diversity of that and the heart behind both of those checks, there's no difference in my mind. In fact, the diversity of it is part of what just, uh, I, I just, I, I can never get my arms around the 
this community that far enough. I can never be grateful enough for it. And well, it's it's it, it's quite stunning what's been done and what y'all have done and organized and the wine walk and the other fundraising events that y'all have done over the years. Um, if people want to learn more, they, they go to the HGF website. What is that? That is horsemen's distressfund.com. And that's plural. And um, you can, you can Google Arabian horsemen's distress fund and get the same info. Um, we originally, it was horsemen's distress fund and um, you know, it's a separate fund with its own bank account and bylaws and incorporation. It's not connected with AHA, except that we now request people to be members of the association simply because we started having other breeds reach out to us. And um, I'm a little bit, that's why these guys sometimes are angry with me because I'm a little bit impetuous and am always ready to help everybody um, as soon as I find out somebody needs something. And, you know, we had, um, you know, a few other breeds some that approached us and we were well into the process through, and we have an application form and whatnot, but we had forgotten to ask, you know, are you, what is your breed affiliation? And they were not from our breed and we, to be, in order to be, you know, responsible to our donors, obviously these are Arabian designated funds now. Um, so we do, we do ask for AHA membership now, but it's not a component of AHA. Right. The interesting thing um, and the end of that story is that although we do use most of the funding for the Arabian horse world, um, it's really gratifying to us the amount of outpouring during natural disasters that's come in over the last decade that we have been able to share with all breeds through our support of a variety of rescue attempts and, um, you know, uh, evacuation situations. We bought hay, grain. We were there during Harvey. We've been out for the fires um, throughout the country um, and the, um, you know, the tornadoes and the hurricanes. So, and at that time, we help anybody we can help. And, you know, and the community supplies the money. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it starts before it starts before, sometimes before I even know something has happened. Right. Uh, I'll know something has happened. If I haven't been on the internet, I'll come in and see a couple of emails and be like, oh, you better catch up on the news, sister. Yeah. Something's gone down. Well, Mary, the, the, the results of it are stunning and really amazing. I don't know if you have any numbers that you want to share and in, in particular, anything you can give us in kind of a benchmark. Yeah, um, I do. Um, over since 2004. So whatever that puts us to um, in dog years, I guess we're what's that 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're just shy of $4 million, um, brought in and dispersed. And the amazing thing about that is that, um, most of these disbursements, um, and you know, there's always some, there are always some obvious and well-publicized situations where people, you know, with high profiles and, or a terrible accident. Um, or a fire or something to that effect uh, gains notoriety, but there are five times as many anonymous or 10 times as many, you know, 
not on, anonymous, but confidential uh, right. assists. And most of those assists, um, other than the very you know visible ones, uh, are generally in the fifteen to twenty to twenty thousand dollar range over a period of three to six months. Um, the 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 difference that, and that's I think what is so important about these donations. It doesn't matter the size of it because the difference that every dollar makes to somebody once the chips get down. I mean, this, and it's a bridging fund. It's not an assistance fund. It's to get you from point A to point B of a disaster and um, to get you over that that moment right after you kind of come to going, holy God, how am I going to pay for, how am I going to, where's the money going to come from? Right. And to me, that's the last thing in the world anybody needs to be thinking about as you're opening your eyes. Um, and I can, I can share with you that we've been in the same situation in our lives and friends have stepped up to help us through. Um, and I know what it's like and, and we're, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's way better than thinking about the coupons that we need during a time like that. Well, listen, um, other than the website and it, you're saying a horseman's distress, is it M-E-N-S or M-A-N-S? It is M-E-N-S, plural. Okay. Horseman's distress fund.com. But if you Google Arabian, any horseman, if you Google horseman's distress fund or Arabian distress fund or horseman's Arabian horseman's You'll distress find it. fund, It'll come, it'll be the first one there because there aren't many of them. There's, there's not much else like this in the industry. There's some that have um, started to build some things like it, but I'm just, I'm so proud of our community. I can't stand it. Just, no, it's fantastic. And I really appreciate you taking some time to share it with us. If anyone wants to reach out to you personally, what is the best email for you? Mary at TrowbridgesLTD.com. So Mary at TrowbridgesLTD.com. Hey, Mary, thank you so much. And I'd love to have you on again. Thanks for all you do, Paul. I love Arabian horses too. Before we go, I want to make sure that you have a chance to check in with the Arabian Horsemen's Distress Fund website, which includes information about how to help and also how to request help. Their website, one more time, is horsemansdistressfund.com. That's H-O-R-S-E-M-E-N-S, distressfund.com. Hey, this is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want to share ideas, feedback, or want to get involved, send me an email at austin at welovearabianhorses.com.